to get us rolling here, why don't you turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 8. Proverbs, chapter 8. Did I already do the study sheet thing? Everybody got a study sheet? Okay. Proverbs, chapter 8. Now, last week, in the midst of what we're seeing from the book of Revelation, we began to talk about this thing that sits behind our teeth in our mouth, the thing of the tongue. And um, how, many of you, how many of you found yourself thinking things this week that just about came out of your mouth or did come out of your mouth that you wish weren't there, wasn't there? Anybody? Okay, me too. Just wanted to have a little bit of comfort there with you. But check this out in Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 8. Wouldn't you love to be able to say this? All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing forward or perverse in them. Now, just want anybody here that feels like based on the week that you had this week, you could say that? All right. We don't even have any liars in the bunch. But now, folks, listen, if we are not able to say this, then there's something that God wants to say to us this morning. And so why don't we take just a moment together to ask that the Lord would do just that, that the Lord would speak to us. Now, it's, a, it's wonderful that God was in our midst and he, he spoke. But how about God just speaking to me? Why don't you just individually pray that this morning, that God would take all of this, and rather than you making application for everybody else in the church, ask the Lord to help you to make application to yourself. Would you do that? Why don't you just bow your head right now and just make this an altar, if you will, and ask God to take his word this morning and speak to your heart. Lord, we do thank you for the blessing that we've been able to share about Christy, and we continue to look to you as the, the great physician, the one that holds the power over our bodies. And we ask that you would continue to work and to use Brian and Christy in their faith and in that hospital and in their family. We pray that people would come to know you as their Savior through being able to see their faith on display. But Lord, now you brought us to a place in the book of Revelation where you're wanting to teach us some things. And Lord, we want you to know that we desperately want to learn them. And so, Lord, would you please help all of us this morning to resist the temptation to make application to others. And Lord, would you please help every one of us to hear what you're wanting to say to us about our life. And would you change us for your glory's sake, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, if you would, turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 14. For those of you who are guests, we've been looking at a group of people that have not yet at this point arisen on this planet. They are no doubt alive on this planet right now. But this group of people is a group of people that once the church of Jesus Christ has been removed 
at the event that we would call the rapture of the church, which is spelled out for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Once the church has been removed, there's a group of people that are going to come on this planet, and they will be referred to, biblically, as the 144,000. They will be the group of people that Jesus is going to be using as his servants, as we saw in Revelation chapter 7. They will be his servants to carry out his mission during the tribulation period, which is a seven-year period on this planet where Jesus said there's never been a time like it and will never be a time like it after it. It is an intense time of grief and pain and suffering, torment and judgment on this planet. But during the midst of that time, this group, the 144,000, are going to be his special select servants. There's 12,000 of them from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, which equals 144,000. This is a group of people that have got it together. And because they've got it together, and because Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, as it describes us, and in Revelation 2 and 3, there's seven letters to seven churches. They are descriptive and outline for us seven periods of church history. We're living in the seventh and final one in the letter that is written to the Laodiceans. So this morning, those of you who are guests with us, as, as you hear me use the word Laodicean, it's taken from Revelation 3, 14 to 22. It's in reference to the period of time that we're living in. Christianity in this period of time, believers in Jesus Christ in this period of time, and as you look at the outline that Jesus wrote that would be descriptive of us, what you find out is much in contrast to the 144,000, we're a group of people that don't have it all together. We think we've got it all together is what Jesus says is descriptive of us. We think we're rich and increased with goods spiritually and have need of nothing, and he says, and you don't know that you are the exact opposite of that. You are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And the reason we stay in our sick, lukewarm, Laodicean condition is because we think that's talking about somebody else rather than talking about us. And, and so what we've been trying to do as Laodiceans is look at this group of people that do have it all together and compare ourselves to that group and say, what are the things that we can learn? And we saw, first of all, that there's visible evidence of their identification with the Lamb and His Father. And what, the whole point of what we're doing here is we're looking at what is true of this group of people and saying, now, how can we learn from them? And folks, listen, what we can learn from them is when you look at that group of people by their seal and by their submission, it is very evident that they are identified with the Lord Jesus Christ and His Father, Jehovah God. And what God is trying to show us as we compare Scripture with Scripture is that in this Laodicean church period, there are lots of people who claim to know Jesus Christ. They claim to have an identification with the Lamb and His Father. However, there's no visible evidence of that in their life. And as you compare Scripture with Scripture, what you find is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, but there is no visible evidence of it in your life, then what has happened to you most likely is you have had a great emotional, religious experience, but you've never really come to true faith in Jesus Christ because true believers in Jesus Christ are recognized by a seal. The foundation of God standeth sure, 2 Timothy 2.19 says, having this seal, 
The Lord knoweth them that are his. And you know who they are? It's all those who have departed from iniquity. Those are the ones that have the seal. It's recognized by our submission. They follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. And you know what Jesus said? You're going to know my sheep because of the same exact thing. They follow me. So there's visible evidence. And we can learn some things from that. Because quite honestly, now listen, there's people in this church. Some of you that are, you're hearing my words right now, falling on your ears. You claim to know Jesus Christ, but it's not visibly evident. And, and I, I wish, I wish that somehow you could hear what, what's being said in, in this room. I, I, the last thing I want is for people who genuinely know Jesus Christ to have to doubt their salvation. But oh my goodness, I know that I, along with our other pastors, are going to stand according to Hebrews thirteen seventeen. We are going to stand before God and give an account for how we watched for your souls. And I'm just uh, trying to preach my guts out to you that if it's not visibly evident in your life, you ought to just shake yourself, do something to say what is up with that in light of what the Scripture says is true of people that know him. You know, you go back in time and you, 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 you hear men like D.L. Moody at the turn of the century talking about the fact that they would... He, he estimated the fact that 50% of the people in his church were not truly saved. Yikes! I mean, that was back when there were some morals going on. And... We're, we're evil men and seducers, the Bible says, shall wax worse and worse. Man, things are a lot different than they were. Again, I don't want to cause anybody that truly knows Christ as their Savior to have to doubt their salvation. But man, oh man, oh man, stop listening to an outline and start listening to the Word of God. You need to, to see submission in your life to Jesus Christ. You need to see that there is the seal, that there is a departing from iniquity, and when you do fail, and you will, there ought to be some reaction in your life to that. You, you ought to look at that sin and, and have a response, a reaction like, like uh, Paul had in Romans chapter 7 that says, Oh, wretched man that I am! Why is it that I, I, I don't do the things that I want to do and I, I end up doing the things I don't want to do? There ought to be some kind of a thing going on in you like that. There ought to be a confession of sin. And, and when there isn't, you ought to just look up and say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. In light of what the Bible says is characteristic of people that know him, why is this true in my life? But not only is there visible evidence, we have been seeing over the last several weeks, there's also audible evidence of their connection with the Lamb and His Father. We saw this through the song that they sing, and we looked at the song that we sing. And last week, we began to look at the speech of this 144,000 servants of our God. We looked, first of all, at their practice, the practice of their speech. Look at it in verse 5. It says, And in their mouth was found no guile. And what is just an incredible thing to me as we, we talked about this last week, that here is a group of people that goes seven solid years, and for seven solid years, they never have to say, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that. How many of you ever said that in your life? For seven years, this group of people never comes to the place 
to where, oh, man, why did I say that? For seven solid years, they never say any... Listen, men, ladies, for seven solid years, they never say anything off-color or even the least bit suggestive. They don't even laugh at the off-color and the suggestive because there's no guile found in their mouth. They, they've never, for seven years, they never respond harshly or rudely or in anger or in vengeance to people. They, they never allow anything that comes out of their mouth that is said with the intent to hurt. For, for seven solid years, they never drive away from anybody's house after fellowship and go, man, I've got a big mouth. I, I just got to tell you, I do that a lot. And, and you know what? Here's a group of people, no guile in their mouth. And because there's no guile in their mouth, they have a, a, a very unique position. L look at the rest of verse 5. For they are without fault before the throne of God. James chapter 3 and verse 2 says, If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. And here's a group of people that have found a way to bridle their tongue and there's no they they do not offend in their words and God says because of that they have a, a very unique position there without fault before the throne of God and so we began to look at this group of people and learn some things there and we began to talk about the speech of the servants of our God in the church age those of us living right now we began to look at our position and it's just an incredible thing here is this group of people, the 144,000. Their position is they are without fault before the throne of God. And what is so incredible this morning is because we have been placed into Jesus Christ, God now looks at us and he sees us the way that he sees the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how he sees him? Without fault before the throne of God. And those references there, we looked at those last week. All of those are teaching us that right now, what has happened to us, according to Ephesians chapter 2, is this group of people that is physically sitting in this room, spiritually, we are seated around the throne of God right now. It's already a settled fact. And around that throne, we are without fault because we are in Christ. Now, because of our position, there is to be a practice of our speech. The actual day-to-day -day living of our life when we open our mouth ought to be like people who are without fault before the throne of God. What is true of the 144,000 has been commanded to be true of those of us that have been spiritually placed into Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.10 says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. It was true of the 144,000. Now God says, because of your position in Christ as faultless before the throne, don't let there be any guile in your mouth. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Again, it's the same thing that is true of the 144,000. God says, now that is to be true of you that know me in this Laodicean church period. And what we began to see is that there is three ways that guile is found in the mouth of those of us that would be Laodiceans. Number one, and we didn't get all the way through this one last time, but guile is found in our mouths 
by the things we say with our lips. And this is, this is simple. Obviously, most people, when they think about the guile in someone's mouth, it's through what we say with our lips. But the reason we're making a point of this is to let the Spirit of God begin to show us the guile that would be in our mouth and to show you that maybe there are some elements of guile found in your mouth that you haven't yet thought of that we'll look at in number two and number three. But now I want you to listen. The last several weeks and probably months now, we've been trying to, as a church, just evaluate some things about where we are. The, the new year kind of prompted us to just do some evaluation. We've been talking as a church that if there's an area where we, we're, we're really lacking, now this is a motivated group of people. I mean, you guys make disciples like crazy. You guys are willing to, I mean, we say, hey, listen, there's a great need in Russia. Like last summer, we had over 100 men that will step up to the plate and take their life, their vacation, spend their money, and go work from morning till late at night doing the mission. we got all this stuff that's going on. And yet the, the very essence of the Christian life is, is one of those little things that we need to just kind of move ourselves back to. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Not that you go on mission trips. Not that you give a lot of money to missions. Not that you make disciples every week. He said the way that people were going to know that we know him is by the love that we have for one another. And in light of this whole thing about the tongue and the speech and the guile found in our mouth, to be quite honest with you guys, this is one of the key areas where we blow it. You know, I, I, and I've tried to put my finger on it, to be quite honest with you. You know, we, we, God has graciously allowed us in the last several years to, to learn some things from this book. Most of us, would you not have the testimony that within the last five or six years or so, your whole mindset has changed about what this book is really all about and the deep recesses of what is in the mind and heart of God. I mean, you know, we've learned all this stuff and, and God has, has graciously allowed us to see those things, but, but it seems as if in the midst of learning these things and being able to look and identify things because we, we, we've begun to look through the eyes of Scripture, I'm afraid that maybe the element of pride has gotten in and caused us when we begin to see things because of the pride in our hearts, the things that come out of our mouths are sometimes very, very unloving, cold-hearted, and some of the things that we are saying that come out of our mouth have to do with the very people that are sitting in this room. We've almost come to the place to where, you know, in light of everything that we've learned from the Word of God, if you're still struggling in an area like that, you know what? You just need to get out of here. People say that to one another in this church. Turn to Galatians chapter 5.
And look at the end of verse, <coughs> at the end of verse 13. He says, By love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. We ought to be serving one another. And he says, what's happening is you're biting and devouring one another. You better be careful, he says, because you may just, you may just chew some people right up. Hey, guys doesn't get any more basic than loving one another, serving one another, and not biting and devouring one another. This has no part in Christianity. I don't care how much we learn around here, guys. I don't know. I don't care how deeply we can make ourselves into passages in the Word of God and all the pictures that we can explain to people we can be showing them some of the incredible pictures of the Old Testament and in the same conversation, bite and devour people and think we're okay with it. Would you turn to the book of Proverbs for a second? Proverbs chapter 6. And look at verse 16. These six things doth the Lord... What's the next word? Hate. Yea, seven are in abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, Feet that be swift in running to mischief. A, a false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. God does not say, you know, now there, there's some areas that are, are real heavy and there's some things that bother me. Now check it out. God says, I'm telling you guys, there's six things I hate, and, and seven are an abomination to me. And if you look at the list, three out of the seven have to do with things that come out of our mouth. Three of the seven. And I think that maybe what some of us that have learned so many things about the Word of God and so insightful into people's lives because of all of the things that we know about the Word of God, I think that maybe we might ought to just step back and say, there are some things that the Lord just absolutely hates. And I just want to make sure that I'm not guilty of those. And last week, we began to go to the book of James. And I walked you through that entire passage there just so we could use that as a, a stepping stone for the next several weeks as we talk about this thing about 
what comes out of our mouth. And, and James has some things to say. Where we ended last week, and I won't walk all the way through this, but let's just, you'll notice on, on your sheet there. We, we came to some conclusions as a result of seeing what James says in James 3, verses 1 to 12. First of all, the tongue defies, guys. It defies. It defies, listen, all the attempts of the flesh to tame it. And what you need to understand, this is what James says. Now, now listen to it. I, I, oh, I, yeah, I was here last week. Yeah, I know all about it. Listen, what he said is this. The most ferocious beast on this entire planet is lurking behind the din of your lips and your teeth. An untamable beast, the most ravenous, the most damaging beast on this planet. He says, you can tame all of them, man. You can just go through the list and we can tame all of them. But there's a beast, he says, behind the din of your teeth and your lips. And if you let that thing out, it will absolutely devour. It will bite and devour like Galatians just says. It defies being tamed. The second thing he shows us is that the tongue defiles he says, listen, it defiles the whole body. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, he says, listen, you guys think that what you take into your mouth and goes into your belly, you think that's what defiles you. And that would be Laodicea. Oh, that's, that'll cause cancer. That'll make you fat. You know, we think all this stuff, and what he says is, what you need to understand is it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles and what he begins to show us is this next thing that James leaves us with and that is that the tongue displays it displays what is really in our hearts and what we we saw is that the tongue is really a neutral messenger doesn't have anything to do with the tongue though the Bible is just full of things that it has to say about the tongue what Jesus does is he resolves the cord for us in Matthew chapter 15 and he says, listen, the things that come out of your mouth come out of your mouth because they're in your heart. Those things are in your heart. And, and the key thought that we, we, we talk on, what's found in our mouth reveals what's in our hearts. And would you turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, once again, Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 29. And let's let the Lord deal with this, if we could, on this thing of the things that we say with our lips. Very directly, the Spirit of God inspires Paul to say in verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. None. Nil. Nothing. Nothing out of your mouth that would be corrupt. Okay, and look at the verse. But that which is good to the use 
of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Okay, now wa- look at the verse again. Watch what he does here. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but, okay, term of contrast here, but that which is good to the use of edifying. And if you want to know what corrupt communication would mean, it would be the things that don't edify. Now let me just ask you, are you guilty as a member of First Baptist Church of saying things to people and about people that are not used to build up people but would be corrupt communication because the opposite of building them up would be to what? Tear them down. Do you say things to the people in this church to tear them down? Do you say things about people in this church in the name of your your incredible insight? You know what I, I began to figure out? If I'm listening to someone that is so insightful into everybody else's little life and they've got him all pigeonholed, you know what I'm figuring out? They're probably pretty insightful into my life and when they're with, when they're with somebody else, they're telling them all the insightful things about my life. He says, no. No corrupt communication. Don't let anything come out of your mouth that's going to tear your brother down. In, in Luke chapter, just hold your, your place here in Ephesians. Go, go over to the book of Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in the synagogue preaching. And look at verse 22. It says, And all bear him witness and, and wondered, watch this now, at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's? son wow these words that proceed out of his mouth are filled with such grace it almost leads you to believe that he's not even not even Joseph's son it's almost like he's the the son of God those words are so gracious listen wouldn't you love to have that kind of testimony you know what you'll never get any corrupt communication coming out of When they speak, they're just filled with gracious words. Look at Ephesians 4.29 again. Use your mouth, your communication to, to good, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Do you know what grace is? It's the desire and the power obey God. Now, I know there's saving grace, which is, you know, unmerited favor. But grace in this sense, you know what it is? It's the desire and the power to obey God. What we say to each other, what we say about each other, guys, ought to be words that causes the hearer to be filled with the desire and the power to obey God. But you know what? Sometimes the things that we say to one another are so sharp and run so deep that when they say it, 
it sucks the life out of you. Have you ever had somebody do that to you? To the things, that, oh, you know, I was in Sam's yesterday, day before yesterday, I can't remember what that. I hate being old, you know, your days run together on you. But, but you know, here's this, this guy, here's his teenage kids all standing around, and I come down the aisle and he's saying to his wife, I've been standing up at the GD line up there, and why don't, you know, and she says, well, I, you know, I, that, 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 that. well, why don't you get, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, how are these kids ever going to have a chance with that kind of stuff? And you know what? In the body of Christ, we're sometimes guilty of saying those sharp things, and it's almost as if it can get to the place to where we don't even think about it. And even those of us that hear it, we don't think about the fact of what this is doing to the lives of people. The, the words we speak ought to be filled with such grace that the people have a desire through the words of edification to build us up, to, to want to do what is right. You know what the word encourage means? To put courage into. And sometimes we don't put courage into people. Sometimes what we're guilty of is, is sucking the life out of them. But listen, this is, a, this is a body of believers here. And he says, don't let any corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which is good, so that this body can be built up by one another and not torn down, so that people have life pumped into them through your words, not life sucked out of them through your words. And, and it's time, y'all, that we, we learn some things about, about this. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, listen to it. Let your speech be always, always with grace. Always, always, always with grace. Never should there ever be anything that is said to anybody in this church or about anybody in this church that doesn't come with grace, that isn't being said for the purpose of building up uh, one of our brothers and sisters in, in Christ. Uh, look at Proverbs chapter 18 for a sec. Proverbs 18, verse 6. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calleth for strokes. You know what the writer of the Proverbs is trying to get us to see? There's a way that you can say things that just by the way that you said, said them cause contention. They may need to be said. But a foolish man says them in such a way that the hearer is not receiving it. It causes contention. The way that he says it calleth 
for strokes. You, you know what that, that's mean? By the very way that you said it, you're, you're picking a fight. There's a way to say things to one another in the body. And the Bible tells us, ye which are spiritual, restore such and one. Hey, we're not talking about, well, you know, we just love everybody down there and, and we don't ever say anything to anybody that, that wouldn't just build them up. You know what? Some people need to be confronted and that's how we build them up. But when we do that, we do it with grace, not contention. We go and, and we, through the way that we communicate it, it's going to be with such grace that we're not looking for a fight. You understand that? There, there's a way to make a point without making an enemy, is what he's trying to say. And some of us, as long as we make our point, we think, well, it's just tough stuff if they don't like it. Hey, it's truth, isn't it? Yeah, but you know, you can communicate truth in a way that just picks a fight. And what he's saying is, no. That's, it, you're foolish to do that. Look in Proverbs 12 and verse 18. He says, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Now, now listen, you know what he's saying to us, y'all? He, he's saying, your tongue is like a knife. And that knife in your mouth, that sword in your mouth, if you will, that knife can be used for one of two purposes. It can be used to hurt and to inflict pain. Or that knife can be like the knife in the hand of a skilled surgeon who uses that knife to bring help and to bring help. And we all need to understand, we've got that knife in us and we are the ones that are going to determine, are we going to use it to hurt, to make people bleed, to inflict pain on them? Or are we going to use that knife to do surgery in their life so that they can be, they can be helped? Look at Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You see that? It's the same, the same thing we're talking about. That knife can be used to kill or it can be used to help people. Is this an overstatement, you know? Death and life in the power of the tongue? You, you know why we continue to say a lot of the things that we say? We don't, we don't believe Proverbs 18, 21. We really don't believe James 3, 1 through 12. We don't really believe that this thing in our mouth is that powerful. I, I don't want to get awful on this, this deal. But there's a church right up the road from us in Massillon. And you know what? front page article three times in the last week or so over the Baptist church in that city the largest Baptist church in that part of Stark County you know why I'm not there but I know why it's because death and life are in the power of the 
tongue. You wouldn't believe the biting and the devouring. The pastor is getting death threats in his home from the members of the congregation. Cops called twice last Sunday to the church because this group doesn't agree with this group. I want to know, do you think all of that could be taking place if everybody just kept their mouth shut? Death is in the power of the tongue. It'll kill a church. It'll kill a reputation. It'll kill unity. It'll kill fellowship. It'll kill friends. Or there can be life through the tongue. The same instrument, man. Same thing. It's just according to how you use it. Look in Proverbs 14. In verse 3, and you know what? I've spent hours and hours and hours in the Proverbs alone, just cross-referencing everything that had to do with communication, the mouth, the tongue, the lips, words. Hundreds and hundreds in this one little book of the Bible here, guys. I'm just giving you you some of these that, that just grabbed me. Listen, this is no small thing to God that we're talking about. It is so powerful. Proverbs 14, verse 3. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod. And listen. The reason the tongue is used as a weapon is because of what? When, when this thing in our mouth is used for any other reason than building up people, putting courage into people, building them up in the faith and giving them the desire and the power to obey God, it's an evidence of pride, guys. Remember what we talked about in James? We can't really know what's in our hearts. But what comes out of our mouth lets us know what's there. And look in Proverbs 20, verse 15. There is gold and a multitude of rubies. Watch this now. But the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. You know what? If you were to take all the gold that, that our family has, I mean, you could take this ring and the ring that's on my wife's finger, and that's about it. <laughs> oh, and there's all kinds of gold out there, he's saying, and, and rubies, oh, there's rubies in abundance. Okay, now, if we were to take all the rubies and all the gold in this room, do you think, is, is that a lot? No, there ain't Jack. What are you saying? Compared to somebody who knows how to use their lips the right way there's all kinds of gold and rubies this somebody that knows how to use their mouth for its intended purpose for God's purpose man that's that's a precious that's a rare jewel you see we think 
oh man gold is so rare rubies are so rare god says no somebody that knows how to use their mouth now we're talking about a jewel that's precious Pro proverbs 10:20. just is as choice silver the heart of the wicked is little worth and notice the contrast between the tongue and the heart because the two are inseparably linked but he says listen people that know how to use their mouth and speak with justice speak what is fair speak what is right it's his choice silver but you know what all of the rest of the people with all the wickedness in their heart expressed through their mouth that's of no value in uh, Isaiah turn over to the right just a little bit Isaiah chapter 50 Isaiah chapter 50. And look at, oh my goodness, look at what Isaiah was able to, to say. The Lord, verse 4, Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth my ear to hear as the learned. You know what he's saying? God give, gets me up every day. And he allows me to hear what people are saying. Listen. And he allows me to hear what people are not saying. And he's given me a mouth to know how to speak the right words to help people who are weary. Listen, guys, for years now, we've been talking about how late the hour is. You know what? It was 1995, I think, when we started church history. Five years ago. And we were going through that, and week after week, through everything that we were seeing there, we were all oh, so convinced that the coming of the Lord was, was just that close. How many of you really thought we'd hit the year 2000? Come on. We, we, we did think we'd be out of here by now, didn't we? I mean, I did. I've got to tell you. And, and you know what? I, we may not have it all just, just real fine-tuned, guys. It, it may be 2011. Maybe we've got 11 more years. You know what? You can find yourself getting real weary out there. You know what this church needs? Some people that will listen through the ears of God in this place and learn how to use their mouth to be able to say words to people in this fellowship that will help the weary. Rather than when somebody is downtrodden and stumbling in their life rather than us biting and devouring them and judging them and making it worse on them how about we we come to the place where like Isaiah we let God do a work in our hearing and in our hearts so that we learn how to minister to one another and turn back to Proverbs 15 in, in, in the same vein of what Isaiah is talking about here. Proverbs 15. 
in verse 23. Look at what he says. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season. How good it is. You know what, guys? I think the reason that we don't minister to one another with our mouth and with our words more than we do is because we really, with the whole thing of the tongue, we de-emphasize its power to hurt. And I think we also de-emphasize its power to help. Look at what he says. A word spoken in due season. How good it is. You know what, man, when people are struggling spiritually... Do you think they need somebody to come get in their face and say, how in the world can you do this? Do you know that Galatians tells us that when we do that, we do it in the spirit of meekness, lest we also be tempted? But coming and with mercy and with grace, call it what it is. But minister it in such a way to where it doesn't bring contention, it doesn't call for a fight. It causes the person to want to obey God. And he says, just a word to somebody who is, who, who is perishing out there and is in desperate need of somebody to minister to them. Just one word, man. How good it is. Look in Proverbs 25 and verse 11. Proverbs 25, verse 11. A word... Just a word, fitly spoken, is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. You know what he's saying? It's a beautiful thing. It's just beautiful. If you can take that thing, instrument in your mouth, and use it to speak the right word to somebody else. Go back to Proverbs 12. Proverbs 12 and verse 25. Look at this. Heaviness in the heart of a man maketh it stoop. But a good word maketh it glad. Do you ever look around and see people in this church that are heavy? If, if you look behind this, the suit, the tie, the starch, the polished shoes, and or however you dress. If you look beyond all of that into the face of people and you look into their eyes, you know what, guys? There's lots of people that come in here every single week and they have had, if you knew what they had gone through this week, you know what? You'd want to run over and just hold them. We get in here and we're so busy and, and if you're not careful you can ingest and, and all kinds of stuff say rude things when people are going through heaviness and their heart stoops they're, they're downtrodden and I just I love the way that he says this but a good word that's all it takes man just a good word from somebody who would care enough to to love them. And 
And just turn over to the right a little bit. Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and health to the bones. And, and you know what, guys? You know, sometimes we, we have a service like this, and in light of some of the deep things in the Word of God and all of the incredible pictures in there. You know what? When we do something like this, just compare Scripture with Scripture, you know, I almost feel like, wow, this is just like, you know, a little dose of milk for all the little babies out there. And, and you know what? This is a church. I want us to continue to learn the deep things of the Word of God. We're responsible for that book. But buddy, I'm not willing to let us get all of these deep things of the Word of God under our belt and us bite and devour one another and get on the front page of some newspaper and cause the cause of Christ to go down the tubes because we know so much and we are so little and again I want to remind you of what we've what we've talked about the issue that we're talking about here is not that we all need to get a lot more disciplined with the things that come out of our mouth. We need to learn how not to say stuff. We've got to ask ourselves why are these things in our heart toward our brothers when Jesus said, by this shall all men know. Not that you have discipled your tongue and disciplined your tongue to the place to where you can hold your words now but coming to the place to where when you see things, when you hear things, as Isaiah said, you see them and you hear them as one that's been taught of God to be able to minister and to help those people. That's what this church is all about. And you know what? I'd be just real content right now if we never learned another deep thing in that book, but we started living out the deep truths that are found in the simplicity that is in Christ. And Lord, would you please help us to be like Isaiah and allow you to give us the tongue that we need to have, the tongue of the learned. Would you teach us, as Isaiah said, to know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary? And, oh Lord, would you wake us up every morning and give us ears to hear as those that are taught of you so that we know how to minister in this place to one another. 
Lord, would you, would you do a work in, in our hearts right now that will be reflected through our, our mouths. Now, those of you that are part of this church, if you would just continue to keep your head bowed for a second, and, and would you would you pray that God would do heart surgery in you that affects your mouth, your tongue, so that we use that instrument that God has given to us for life, for help, for good edifying to minister grace to people and, and you pray about that and there's others of you that God in his sovereignty allowed you to come on a day like today and I you know what I don't I don't know for sure why it is that God chose today of all days to bring you here maybe maybe just maybe you have been hit by the rod of pride of the tongue of somebody that professed to know Jesus Christ and maybe because of that maybe because of hypocrisy you've seen and words that people have have spoken to you or about others or about you or whatever maybe that has been something that the enemy has tried to use to keep you from receiving the truth of Jesus Christ into your life and maybe what God brought you here today to hear is that these things ought not to be in the mouths or the hearts of those that truly know Christ. And if that's been something that the enemy has tried to use to keep you from receiving Christ, oh, I want you to know that the enemy is a masterful mind. And what it says in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 is he seeks to blind the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine unto them listen the devil does not want you to understand that Jesus is God who came to this planet and lived a sinless life so that he could become sin taking your sin upon him so that he could die be buried raised from the dead the third day to prove that he was God and that the price of sin had been paid he wants you the enemy wants you not to understand that that is the message that can save you, that can take your sin and remove it as far as the east is from the west. And we want you to know this morning that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you. He wants to save you. He wants to remove your sin so that you can have a relationship with Him in this life and in the life to come. And if you have questions about that, you'd like to talk to, to somebody about that, our pastors are going to be up on either side of the front of this room as our service is, is concluded this morning. And we invite you to come if you have questions or uh, you, you'd just like to, to, to talk to somebody to know more about having a relationship with God. We, we invite you to come. And now, Lord, would you please work in the hearts of, of those folks that don't know you. And I pray that, that they would be saved today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.